Hi, I'm Steve. I'm Erin. And I'm Daniel. And we're the Verbal Reasoning Podcast. Three friends with professional scientific backgrounds. Talking about all things under the sun in the most digestible way. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to today's special episode of the Verbal Reasoning Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Banu. She has studied veterinary medicine and today will help provide an insight into animal anatomy and help clear misconceptions about this field. Hello, Banu. <laughs> Did you like how professionally I've done that? Yeah? No, um, how are you doing? Um, I've been good, yeah. Very good. I feel like I'm on like a dating show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no likey, no likey. Ah, yeah. Daniel. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think um, I obviously went to like secondary school with you guys in sixth form. So I haven't mm-hmm. seen you in a good while. And yeah, so I, I, I've done a degree in veterinary medicine and that's taken kind of six long years and, and finally I, I've graduated. Um, but aside from that, thank you, thank you. And yeah, aside from that, I, I guess my hobbies include, you know, gardening. I've been learning Spanish. Um, I've attempted guitar in and out, not very successfully. I've even like taken up crochet during lockdown, you know. <laughs> Um, I mean, we've taken up podcasting during the lockdown, so really, yeah. yours seems to be a better life skill than ours. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think I've gone on a lot of holidays after graduating. We didn't really get get a chance to go on, on holiday during uni, so I did like four months out traveling around Europe with, with Gabby and Lena, who you guys know, and, and, and some family and friends. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, you're very well-traveled. This is a very well-traveled person we've had on today. Very cultured, by the way. Hi, this is some high-quality guest we've got today. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah, want to miss the previous ones, but... This isn't like Roja, okay? This is a quality, quality-assured person right here. Um, so let me, let me get right into it. You told us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Why did you do veterinary science? And what is veterinary science? So if you can maybe try and answer both. Um, I think so what it is I guess is you know put simply it's like kind of a broad study that that focuses on you know diagnosis and and treatment and and prevention of disease in in a range of species some some definitely in like a greater deal than others Um, as I said it requires five years at uni and and that kind of progresses from like knowledge of of what is normal the basic understanding of anatomy and physiology into Kind of the more clinical years as you progress and, and looking at what's abnormal and how, how you treat that um, and, and putting into practice you know what you've learned into like various teaching environments and, and clinics and things um, and how, how I kind of became interested. Um, I think my love for animals definitely started very early on. I think all vets would probably say the same thing um, and I've always been kind of fascinated by them and and the diversity and nature of animals always seem to, to interest me. There's definitely kind of a, a certain purity that I find in them that I don't really see in, in a lot of humans. And I grew up watching a lot of, you know, animal, do- animal documentaries and, and David Attenborough documentaries. I always put, you know, a puppy on my Christmas list. And, <laughs> mm. and just, just I love learning about them and how they behave. So that kind of naturally progressed into, into wanting to do it as a, as a career and, and my love of science definitely started later on in secondary school and kind of the merging of, of animals and, and science and, and definitely wanting to, to help and, and kind of leave a positive impact and, and do something fulfilling that kind of all led me to, to veterinary medicine. 
That's cool. I think I remember, like, because obviously we were, we were actually in the same class yeah. um, in school. And I remember, like, you were really into, like, animals and stuff. So it's quite yeah. nice to see it, like, actually go into fruition, you know, in the future. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Like, even seeing you, you're always going to, like, science club after school. So it's great to see how everything's turned out. Ah, don't embarrass me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And other sports, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. How did you find the uh, the course, Bunny? Because, like, you know, notoriously they say, like, medicine's really hard. I can imagine veterinary, like, medicine is possibly even more harder because it's, I don't know, it seems to me quite alien. I think, yeah, it was definitely very, very full-on. Um, I was always kind of jealous of, like, my other friends. They kind of did, like, three-day weeks, and, and during the end of uni, they definitely were hardly ever there, whereas I was there constantly and hardly really got a break. But... But the actual, you know, learning experience was was very interesting for me. It was something I wanted to do. So I found it not so stressful until kind of the end and and you know the final exams. Aside from that, it was it was okay for me. I think I think if you take it kind of take it easy and, and don't try and think too full on and 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 just try and take it easy and like a bit at a time, it kind of is okay. And if you definitely it's good to have things outside of veterinary that you can do and, and kind of as a release. So I think, mm-hmm. yeah. How how were you assessed? Is it like, you know, the the way answered medics got assessed is that they'd have to also go into, uh, for example, do like placements in hospitals. Mm-hmm. Do you have to do something similar? Yeah. So like all through fourth year and fifth year was just full of placements. We did, you know, one week neurology, one week orthopedics and you know, one week equine and kind of just like that. And we had to pass every single one in in order to, to even get to do the exams. Um, and what then was your most memorable thing from the placements, if yeah. you can remember? I think neurology. I enjoyed ne- neurology, definitely. It was, I guess it's something that's quite daunting when you go into it and you just think there's so much to learn and, and things like that. But it was very, like, systematic and and the way that you looked at problems, it was very, you know, defined and it it kind of made it easier than a lot of other things. Whereas, you know, like if you have like a vomiting dog, it could be anything. Whereas in, in neurology, you, when you look at kind of um, what's wrong with the animal and the symptoms it shows, you can define it to a certain area of like the spinal cord or the brain. So that I kind of found that almost easier than some of the other things. And it was definitely a very interesting topic. Yeah. Can I ask then, because I noticed what you said in the beginning was, Mm. um, you kind of spoke about with veterinary science, you look at what the norm is and you try to figure out what isn't normal, yeah. i.e. therefore like what, what might be considered a, I don't know, a disease or some sort of problem yeah. similar to with, with humans. But like, for example, with veterinary science, a lot of the time when you say, oh, I've studied to be a veterinarian, they, they kind of assume, people assume it's just about cats and dogs. But in this case, I'm, I've always had this kind of question of, what is the norm like do you say okay this is a dog's physiology and then you work off from there or like what animal i mean do they teach you like a wide range of animals or is there like one that uses the norm and you build off of that or how does it work in that sense yeah that's a good question i I think the the main kind of animals that we look at are, are dogs and cats and then um large animals so cows and pigs sheep and then equine so that they're kind of the basis that we that we work off um and they're kind of the main things that we treat so that's probably like why 
so much time is dedicated to them. Most of our focus is definitely on on cats and dogs because the majority of vets in as as students go on to become small animal vets and then there's a few that go on to do equine and then a bit more that do do farm animal but all of those are kind of like what we learn is based off these these animals essentially have you ever considered to specialize in more exotic animal i still do want to kind of work with larger animals not not really farm animals but more like elephants and safari animals that's okay. always been kind of a dream of mine and i think i will try and maybe do some placements in india or things like that um, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of voluntary opportunities there working in conservation and things you know I, I think a lot of people when you think of vets they probably just think of like smaller animals or or maybe like with James Herriot books you probably think of farm animals but you can you know do a lot of other things and, and work in zoos or conservation you know the opportunities aren't really limited to just just cats and dogs and things like that. Mm, that's quite interesting. Uh, you mentioned neurology earlier on, and uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask about like there's something I always wondered. Do do animals go through like, for example, like neurotic? Do they have like neurotic? Um, what's what's the word? Mood uh, swings. Uh, no, no, like like let's say disabilities, or do they? Can, can they have, for example, like um, I don't know, Erin, you probably could help me on this, but <laughs> yeah, what are you what are you after? What are you trying to say? Can, I mean, they can have like seizures and tremors and and things yeah. like that. Bits, yeah, all of that is very similar, and, and even the way we treat them, you know, we use diazepam, which I think is definitely used in, in humans as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think um, I was once given metronidazole, if I remember correctly, for my dog. Yeah. Yeah, like an antidepressant or something for my dog because he wasn't eating for like a week. Yeah. And uh, we, we took him in what? and they were like, let's just try this. And literally after one tablet, the guy was just, <laughs> he, was, he was feasting away. <laughs> but, um, actually, yeah, carrying on in that kind of vein then. So you just kind of mentioned how you want to do um, uh, more larger animals, not mm. necessarily horses and cows and, so, and such. But I was actually going to ask. So like, for example, when we have like, um, I don't know, I had a pharmacology degree, but then to specialize in the brain, I had to go do neuroscience master's. Would yeah. that be a similar type situation? Like, is there a master's where you go and you learn about elephants? Um, there's definitely one like... where you learn, you know, more about conservation and species like, like that. Um, I think if you wanted to do like more neurology, you do internships in, in neurology and, and things like that. I don't think it's limited to like a specific subject with a species. It's more you either pick a subject or, you know, the type of anim animal and you kind of have to merge those, those together. So it's not like uh, with, um, for example, with traditional medicine where you might say, okay, I want to learn about, I don't know, Alzheimer's and you go and you specifically work on Alzheimer's, but because obviously this is the, the, the patient in question can be anything ranging from, I don't know, a mouse to an elephant. Yeah. You, you just learn the general, the physiology think, yeah, of it generally. You learn kind of the, the subject matter and you definitely focus on, like when you do like your research project or mm. or your you know um phd or whatever that you're that you're being assessed on your your focus would be on on whatever you've chosen to do okay so uh in terms of misconceptions and so on so you obviously pointed out that it's not necessarily just cats and dogs when you mm -hmm. become a vet are there any other misconceptions or what did you have any misconceptions going into into the field that you're going into did you think it was going to be one way and it was something else or um yeah. yes like I that? think kind of a misconception from me and and 
also from other people is that vets kind of know everything about every animal I think for me going into it I thought I'd be smarter than how I am coming out of it and the more you know the more you don't know yeah I think I thought I'd like just know everything but it turns out no that's not the case um and also with a lot of just I think people in general think that the vets know everything about about every animal um a lot of like my friends and family are just asking the most obscure questions and I definitely get it you know I did go to vet school for five years but you know, I don't know how many, you know, hairs are on a woolly mammoth or things like that. And <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, that's very obscure. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very, yeah, yeah people just ask very weird questions and everyone kind of just looks at you, you know, like anyone that's anything that's kind of related in the slightest to animals. And then, and then I feel bad because I feel like I've let them down and that I should know it. So yeah, that's definitely a big misconception that that we know you know everything about every animal I think people think we're kind of like this animal encyclopedia but but even you know with dogs dogs and cats we don't really know everything we definitely learn only the the foundation knowledge that is needed to treat you know on a basic level and the rest is just through through experience and and exposure so uh do you ever have any family members who've got pets who just kind of like nonchalantly bring you up in conversation and go oh by the way my cat's doing this deal all know. the time literally yeah? <laughs> my whatsapp is full of oh like pictures of vomit or diarrhea oh, like what is this what's wrong oh it's just I mean, personally, I think that's terrible. And, you know, my dog the other day, he had this weird button. I'm just... <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah, no, I was, I, was, I was assuming that that would be the case. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not a doctor or anything, but the second people hear what I do for a living, they're like, oh, the other day I had this headache. And I'm just like, just go to the doctor. Then. Why are you yeah. asking me sort of thing? But it was, yeah, no, I, I, was, I assumed that that would be the case. Yeah, yeah. People don't really ask us questions because we tend to tell them how they can die while in flight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, you don't yeah. want to sit next to Steve on a flight, man. He just scares you the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to also ask, like, I always wondered how, how big of a difference in general, I mean, obviously it's a general question, but like, between a human anatomy and, um, let's say, like, an, another mammal, is the, is, is the difference, like, significant, would you say? I would say, like, not at all. Um, my my brother's a doctor and he always you know mentions things and and I say oh that's you know it's the same in 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 our um, field as well and I think Mm. there's I think people are probably more surprised with how much similarity there is you know all the bones are the same the organs are the same it's just sometimes you know some animals don't have like a horse doesn't have a gallbladder and and things like that or a cow has you know four stomachs instead of one but the essential you know the basics are there and it is the same yeah so that probably explains why we could use um, insulin from pigs in a diabetic patient. Mm, yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot of similarities with kind of how, how the drugs are absorbed and the mechanisms with, with that. So, yeah, I think, and, and you know, a lot of um, human drugs are used on animals. So, mm. yeah, definitely because they're so similar. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how universal is the treatments between animals and humans? Um, is it um, pretty much the same procedure uh, for a number of ailments? Well, I mean, you know, when, when we have a dog that's kind of vomiting, the first thing we kind of say is, you know, a bland diet of chicken and rice. I don't know if they say that at your local GP. Yeah, but, I've been um, told that before. Yeah, I think a lot of it is is very similar, kind of the the main problems, you know, like things with kidneys and, and thyroids and, and supplements that, that are needed 
um, are quite similar. Yeah, you know, a lot of like drugs that are used in in animal medicine, it just wouldn't make sense for for drug companies to be testing on on every single species of animal. And so a lot of the drugs are human drugs, and and when we do that, we kind of have to say that it's like an off license drug. You know, a licensed drug would be one that that is used to treat that specific animal with that specific condition. Whereas, you know, unlicensed drugs haven't really undergone any, you know, formal testing. So we, we do have to mention that to the owner and tell them there might be, you know, unforeseen side effects, but we just have to get them to sign, you know, for informed consent. And, and it's used a lot of the time, you know, there's a lot of drugs from humans, you know, like diazepam or, or lactulose, metronidazole, as you mentioned, you know, there's definitely a lot of drugs that are used between, between both. Yeah, I used to um, work in a pharmacy at one point and we had the, what I believe to be a human patient uh, because it had like a woman's name and a woman's surname uh, and the lady would come in and say the name and I always assumed it was her, <laughs> but it turned out it was for her dog and it was like an eye, eye drop or something and it was just like, it was a human medication. The dog had a surname? Yeah, the dog had a surname. Like my dog, when I go to the vet, they call my surname out and like his first name and my surname to call him in. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> you registered them under your name, isn't it? So yeah. it's like family member and they have your surname and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> it's always like, I always find it awkward when you've got people with like the weirdest names for their pets and you have to go out and call, you know, Miss Fancy Pants. And it's oh, just... <laughs> my oh my goodness. <laughs> What's the funniest, funniest one you've uh, read out? Oh gosh, I don't know. Um, probably just like weird, like very like girly ones and, uh, and like Cinderella or things like that. Princess Muffin Cake. Yeah. Come to the reception. <laughs> Princess Muffin Cake Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Come on in. Don't forget the surname. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, how about this then? Um, which animal? do you think is the most alien and unique when compared to human bodies? So obviously we kind of discussed the similarities in mm, animal yeah. physiology, but which one do you think is like, or which species even you can be quite bored about yourself? Yeah, to, but um, which do you think is the most different? different? So I, I will go for one that I kind of have always been, been interested in from a young age. It might not be the most alien, but I guess a creature that's always fascinated me is the mantis shrimp. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. The mantis shrimp? Yeah. Oh, I've heard of that. It's not a mantis and it's not a shrimp, so that's probably oh, okay. why. <laughs> well, that's that then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the mantis comes from like the appearance of it and they're, they're actually marine um, crustaceans and they're found in like the, the Indian Ocean and they're actually older than dinosaurs. Uh, I can't remember how, how, how many years ago they began you know, evolving. I think maybe 400 million years ago they started in evolving independently but uh, I first like heard about them on an animal documentary and they they're thought to have kind of the most complex eyes in the animal kingdom and and the most visual uh, complex visual system ever discovered Mm -hmm. and um you know you know a bit of science you know we have rod cells and cone cells and 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 rod cells interpret light and and cone interpret color and and as humans we have we only have three different um color receptors so, you know, the rainbow that we see comes from a mix of all those three, whereas the mantis shrimp has 12 to 16 different colour photoreceptors. Oh, wow. It That's just sees a whole different world. And I remember I used to sit there as a child trying to, like, imagine this new colour, but no one told me that, you know, it's impossible. Yes. I can't see this colour <laughs> that the mantis shrimp can see. I always tried to imagine, like, all these new colours. It's not going to work, guys. That used to stress me out. Like, I'd be like... 
okay, I'm thinking of a color. Oh, crap, that's green. Let me think of yeah. it. And I used to stress me out for days. I'm thinking, nah, I can think of a new color, yeah. surely. <laughs> I actually and, remember that as well. <laughs> and, you know, aside from that, that's already kind of like a big thing that fascinated me. But another part of them is they have like these appendages that they use to like um, kill their prey. And, and dismemberment is their form of, you know, is their way that they kill. And they literally just bat until... The, the prey breaks and, and oh my God. The, the speed at which they hit it is the same as kind of like a I think a 22 caliber rifle oh wow that's nice. which oh, is, wow, yeah. yeah it's crazy and their punch is kind of so fast that it produces like these super heated bubbles and and flashes of light that for you know just a second they they generate temperatures of you know over 4,000 degrees Celsius and the sun is like 4,000 degrees Wow. Oh. Yeah, and the sun is kind of, I think, above 5,000, so it's pretty insane. Yeah, I've heard about this, actually. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes you think, like, some animals really do have, like, superhuman yeah. ability. It's crazy. <laughs> so I think just those two extremes, I think, when you think of all that colour, you think it's going to be, like, this heavenly thing, but it's quite mm. deadly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's insane. I mean, like, even looking at, for example, like, cephalopods, you know, that, that, that can change their skin colour to match mm. their surroundings this is stuff of x-men like i know right it's crazy <laughs> it's crazy it's really it helps you think like what what caused them to be like this honestly yeah and why aren't you know, we so cool scares me though the <laughs> ocean scares me the ocean scares the hell out of me i've always been scared <laughs> of the sea anyway and i read the other day where they said something like i don't know 80 percent of the ocean is un uninvestigated or whatever yeah yeah so somebody said in like the marina trench there might be like a megalodon that's also bioluminescent yeah. because we don't know if if it isn't there to be honest because we haven't looked so i was <laughs> yeah. like you can't just spring that on people like oh by the way we we don't know what's in the ocean and then there's these like little mantis shrimp things that can punch you to death like <laughs> i mean they're only like 10 to 20 centimeters but yeah pretty oh, i'll take them i'll take yeah. them all right okay, that's fine that's fine i put my money on the shrimp coming if you google it they're like yeah um, a whole new like, 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 so multicolored you definitely see it coming so i'm sure you could tackle that one erin no definitely not erin he's got problems <laughs> oh, okay all right. cool. okay well let me tell so, you about an animal then Go on. Yes, do. It's called a small tooth dragonfish. Then we do our research. So, uh, this fish, uh, it has flashlights, red, orange, and blue under under its eyes, and uh, the light production producing organ that causes there to be these uh, flashlights under their eyes are called photophores. The blue light is referred to as a high beam, and it's used to see far. So this this fish can literally change the wow. fish, the the light that's coming out of its eye. Uh, the red light is used to as communication for hunting. Uh, you know, as other animals can't see red, mm. they they wow. put out their red lights and they basically talk with one another and say, "Oh, head over there and get that guy," sort of thing. <laughs> and no one actually knows what the orange light is for, which is very nefarious. That's a bit yeah scary, isn't it? That's definitely something out of X Men, that exactly it helps like it's weird isn't it because we obviously we observe the world with our vision touch and the five senses but it doesn't mean that that's you know the limit to every like all the senses like uh, i think there's a hammerhead sharks use uh, electromagnetic uh waves or radiation to pick Mm -hmm. up animals um that's insane they're basically a magnet (laughs) (laughs) like what do they see when they sense that it's 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 mind-boggling it's it's like the color thing you know you're trying to think like What's a new color? 
<laughs> they make us look so basic, don't they? <laughs> yeah. I was, I was watching a documentary yesterday about chimps and uh, they were basically following them around and they were so, they were so like almost like humans. It was, it's, it's so weird. Like yeah. they communicate wow. with each other through body language, but it's quite complex. And uh, it was quite sad. Actually, the documentary was showing how they were going to war with another chimp tribe and they were like in single file military style. And wow. then when they heard something, they all stopped like every single one of them were silent. And they started like signaling with their body Gosh, to be like, oh, crazy. let's go over there. And it makes it like just, you stop and think. Planet of the Apes. Yeah, it's Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, I was about that to say, is, Steve. That is that's... going to happen. Mark my yeah. work. That sounds, that sounds scary more than interesting, Steve, if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> yeah, that sounds scary. Aaron, you're just scared of everything. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm, I'm really scared. I love animals. I love them to bits. Like I'm, I'm one of those people who like intentionally goes and watches sad animal videos just so I can feel oh, outraged yeah. and whatnot, and you know want to defend their rights. But like, I am so scared of animals. <laughs> like, I'm petrified because I actually read uh, somewhere as well. I think it was the core. No, that's a. Uh, what was it? It was a type of monkey basically that had gone into the Stone Age where they had learned how to use tools to like yeah, break yeah. into coconuts and stuff like that. And I said, well, this is it. This is how it comes to an end. A monkey <laughs> holding it wrong. And soon it's going to be Planet of the Apes and we're finished. You should stick to Mika Mana. <laughs> Mika Mana. <laughs> if anyone remembers that. Yeah, I remember that. I think what this is more than just Stone Age. I think they've passed the initial phase of the Stone Age. And they figured out how to make flints. So how to smash a stone against another stone. Yeah. And sharper stone. Yeah. So they're making weapons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my days. Like, like when I see tigers and lions, I just can't help but feel, feel so like helpless. They're just a lump of massive muscle. Yeah. It's insane. Would you want to work with uh, like tiger? I mean, I know you said elephants and stuff, but I guess tigers are exotic animals as well. When you say mm-hmm. exotic animals, would you want to work with tigers? I think so. Yeah, I would love to if I had the opportunity. Definitely. Yeah. What's your favorite animal? My favorite probably is an elephant. Mm, I thought so. Yeah, it's very Indian of me. <laughs> oh, and that's not why. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just want to say that. Done, done, done. Calm down. <laughs> it's just because Banu mentioned elephants. Yeah, it's just many we're, not, we're not racist here. You know what everyone's. Actually, the elephant is was my favorite animal when I was a kid. Was what happened? Uh, I, I discovered tigers. Like, oh, <laughs> I really went into the tiger <laughs> stuff. But at first, because I did a school project and we had to pick an animal, we were actually given animals, and I did like in-depth research on the elephant, and they're so clever. Like yeah. they have such advanced the social interactions as mm-hmm, well. Yeah. Uh, do you, you know what's you, weird? You know Gone. I used to love wolves, right? And my I dog kind of looks like a wolf wolf as well because mm, he's too. a husky and whatnot but then i saw a, a, a video where a husky came across a, a wolf and the sheer size difference like for the first time in my life i actually looked at yeah, someone and i was yeah. like okay i've got i've got a phobia immediately like because i just saw it and i was like that can't be real like that like when i sometimes see yeah. an animal next to something that i know the size of like a rhino next to a car Mm-hmm, yeah, and you, you then you actually understand. Oh, m- these things are massive. Like they're huge. That's again. I don't know. I'm, I might be sounding like a massive chicken today, but like I, he's really scared me. You know, and I was yeah, like, yeah. Hey, it's no longer my favorite animal. If I'm being honest with you, <laughs> I think maybe cuddly like a rabbit. Maybe about elephants, Bernie. Like, what about elephants? Do you like most? Like, what is it about the elephants that like, intrigues 
definitely like the, the social interaction aspect. I think they're, and also their emotions are so complex. You know, I've seen documentaries with, with elephants, you know, showing empathy and, and grief when, when they lose their loved ones. And it's just, I just think that they're, they're just very great creatures. I, I do love them. Mm. Uh, the way the way I understand at the moment is that they're they're quite in uh, in terms of uh, conservation they're in quite a bad shape. Um, it, I'm I'm not sure whether you know more about because uh, uh, there's two types of elephants, right? So there's like yeah, the yeah, African yeah. elephant and the Asian yeah. elephant. Um, what what's the situation like in Asia with uh, the elephant population? Um, I'm not too sure about that, but um, there's definitely kind of this huge problem with, you know, the, the ivory trade industry and, and, and you know, it is illegal, but it, it doesn't stop it from happening. There's definitely a lot of poachers out there that, that still kind of do that and, and it's not very regulated. So I think it's, it is still a big issue at the moment. Mm-hmm. Is, is this part of the reason why you want to, well, on top of your intrigue as well, but when you mentioned animal conservation. Um, what about animal conservation brought you to it? Like, well, why do you want to go down that route instead of earn good money as a, yeah. as, a as a vet, if that makes sense? <laughs> I think um, just, I think the Im- animals are just so important and, and just, just wanting to kind of protect them and, and keep, keep them going. I think a lot of, of species have become extinct due to, due to humans. And I think it's a very sad thing. Um, and I don't think it's very fair. Um, I think these, a lot of these animals contribute hugely to, to, you know, our ecosystems and, and they're, you know, very important to, to everything in the world. So I think that's a, definitely a big thing. And, and, you know, I haven't started working yet, but I, I, you know, a lot of people have told me that, you know, working in general practice and working in small animal medicine, you can get very bored easily just doing, you know, your regular vomiting dog or puppy vaccination. Mm. <laughs> so I definitely like the challenge and, and like change. So that, you know, a lot of factors probably play, play into that. Yeah, it does sound like a great adventure. Mm, yeah. I mean, I thought it was interesting that you spoke a little bit about um, elephants and, you know, how they grieve for one another if one of them passes away mm-hmm, yeah that's often kind of seen as like a human quite like to have emotions is seen as like a human thing yeah and uh, like for example my dog i'm convinced that this dog has emotions and has feelings and you know so on uh, but i'm often told that i'm just and uh, i'm gonna say this word here it's a bit difficult i'm from okay let me try again anthropomorphizing my dog is what i'm being told that i'm doing thank you uh, so <laughs> do you think that you know that is the case do you think that people are just giving human qualities to an animal that might not necessarily feel it and uh, do you think that's a healthy thing to do if if that is the case or uh, you know what's your thoughts on that do you think animals do have these complex feelings or is that just us um, making up? yeah i think that's definitely a very good question and it's quite a complicated area and and one that's definitely, you know, highly debated. Um, yeah, as you said, a lot of critics of, you know, animals having emotion definitely suggest this this idea of anthropomorphism and and that being the motivating factor for for interpreting behaviour. Um, and aside from that, I think a lot of the debate is is from the difficulty of of you know defining just defining the emotion and 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 you know the the kind of cognitive requirements that are required for animals to experience emotion and and there's definitely not a lot of kind of systematic research on the topic especially in 
in free range animals i think there's a lot more in, in domestic animals but definitely i think denying emotions to animals just because they can't be studied directly i i wouldn't say that's a very reasonable argument against their existence um, yeah definitely i yeah i personally think animals do do have emotions um definitely some to a higher degree than than others um and there's you know a lot we don't know and and i believe that we'll definitely find out in the future i think even you know you only have to spend a very s small amount of time with with animals and and dogs even to just to see how they interact and, and seeing their faces and their eyes and and i think you can know what's happening i don't think that you know animal emotions are as mysterious as, as people think and and there's a lot more scientific research on the topic you know with grief and you know empathy in elephants people have found joy in, in rats and and you know there's some there were some studies like recently done on birds that take a, you know a more pessimistic view on life when they're depressed which is you know that's a very human thing to do but they you know it's been it's been shown and so i think in regards to that anthropomorphism topic you know we definitely have to be careful with with how we describe emotions and and you know the vocabulary that we use but we are definitely limited in that sense because we can only really describe what we know mm. um so yeah i think in short i think definitely animals do have emotions but to, to what degree various species share that, I think definitely remains to be seen. But mm -hmm. I think there's evidence that humans are definitely not alone in possessing it. I mean, like I, again, I'm going to go back to the elephant project I did when I was in year yeah. six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember writing about uh, how they kind of have like a mourning uh, ritual when, when they find uh, one of their fellow elephants are dead. Um, yeah, yeah, face, which is like that morning ceremonies and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it's hugely that's a hugely complex emotion, in my mm -hmm. opinion. I just, yeah, it, it seems crazy. And like, I don't know, being around uh, Aaron's dog, he, he's, he's a naughty one, isn't it? So, like, if he does something wrong, like, you can see in his eyes that like, he's yeah. a bit like shamed or he's trying <laughs> to hide it, <laughs> and that's quite complex. <laughs> I think that's a good topic that's a good um point actually because i think some people definitely argue with with that idea of, of dogs looking guilty and you know when they show like the white in their eyes and things a lot of people have suggested that that is not really guilt and it's just the animal trying to to show the human what it wants but mm. it's definitely yeah it, it's a controversial topic i think and and i think you mentioned about you know anthropomorphization being healthy yeah. i think that's also definitely a very controversial topic as well definitely yeah so, i mean i guess uh, for us well uh, in what sense would you think it's unhealthy like at what point do you think it's an unhealthy thing um so i guess um i feel like everyone does it to some extent you know you know I, I had a dog for 12 years and I was you know every year throwing it at a birthday party you know yeah. <laughs> it doesn't know it doesn't <laughs> or like you know people are always talking to their their pets or, or giving them you know treats and things like that but um yeah I think if it's if it's done and it doesn't really affect the animal's welfare then mm -hmm. then go for it but you know certain things I guess a big thing in veterinary is is um, breeding for for these extreme confirmations, you know, having mm. um, like exaggerated body shapes and and appearances, and that definitely affects health and well being of pets. You know, a lot of obvious examples would be like French bulldogs or pugs, and you know, oh. all these kind of flat faced breeds or or sausage dogs, and 
there seems to be kind of this paradox between between people buying these dogs that are predisposed to disease but at the same time you know still deeply caring about them and and yeah. stuff and a lot of that is down to this this idea of, of humanization and um I, people tend to be you know more attracted to things that that look like them and people you know tend to want animals with these big eyes and, and big foreheads and and kind of having these like neonatal childlike features which <laughs> which is you know can be very unhealthy for the dog and and definitely things with like media it's become more fashionable for a lot of these breeds to be you know boosted by you know social media and, and celebrities and it tends to normalize these traits so i think like in that respect it's definitely unhealthy you know other things would be you know obesity feeding these animals human food and things like that or or behavioral problems that are caused by owners not wanting to to upset their pet and and you know not yeah. not um, training them well because they think oh it, you know maybe it won't love me any less uh, it will love me less or it will you know be angry with me and not you know give me silent treatment and things like that yeah I agree I think I think this comes down to a lot of dog owners that kind of treat their dogs mm. like in my opinion like they treat their dogs like human beings but yeah. not understanding they have their own needs that are special yeah it can I be quite dangerous definitely like with this humanization it's definitely opened up like this whole new kind of creative industry where people are, are wanting more like human like products and gourmet pet foods and and you know hot dogs or pizza or champagne yeah. and these sorts of things for their pets and you can even get like massages and aromatherapy <laughs> like what do you guys think about that or like matching matching outfits and things some dogs live a better life than i do uh, let me literally, put it yeah. literally <laughs> You know what's I mean, crazy? Aaron has a dog. Yeah, yeah. So look, when I was um, at King's, uh, King's College, the uh, Denmark Hill Station, I used to get off every day and I'd see this, uh, this homeless person who had a, I believe it was staff breed of dog mm-hmm. with him. And the, the dog always looked like so tired and hungry and it was always like, you know, uh, just sleeping, resting his head on him and so on. And I always felt bad for that dog. And uh, one day I was at the, the station waiting for my friend and uh, somebody walked by and it was kind of like a Paris Hilton situation where they had a chihuahua in a bag. <laughs> and you know it was like it was bedazzled and it had like a bedazzled collar and stuff like that and i just looked at it and i said wow like we've created poor and rich animals so when steve says like there's some animals that live better than me <laughs> like honestly we've we've created this kind of hierarchy amongst animals where you have like the rich ones and the poor ones yeah. i was like that's a poor dog that's a rich dog like it yeah. really blew my mind thinking about it but yeah i would also wear matching clothes my dog if you let me but he doesn't so here we are <laughs> <laughs> Please don't Put do that. Disclaimer there. <laughs> That'd be sick. He already does. <laughs> he, wears no he wears matching underwear. He wears matching underwear. Don't ask how that works. <laughs> <laughs> no, but wouldn't wouldn't you want to treat your dog as good as possible, your pet? If you've got the money, same as your child, you want the best for them. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. But I think at the same time, you'd be definitely have to think are we doing it for the pet or are we or are we doing it for us i don't think the pet really cares to be matching with its with its owner That's like um, <laughs> but definitely other things you know when you're there are pet owners who genuinely do want what's best and and do you know try and find like these gourmet pet foods and things like that because they do want what's best for their pet so i think when when it's when it's things like that i think that's that's like harmless and it's not really unhealthy i think when it's only when you're really putting the animal's welfare yeah you know, 
against like, you know, things like that and and put, putting our ideas onto onto like forcing them onto animals i think that's when it becomes unhealthy like I've, I've i've seen it with dogs right like when the owners doesn't recognize that they need like a dominant figure in order mm. to stand in line uh, they kind of treat it like a child yeah i mean with a chihuahua you know the worst that can happen is that it's that annoying chihuahua that you know always nips at you <laughs> but if it's a breed of if it's a breed of dog that you know could potentially do damage yeah, like a bigger size yeah yeah this the same behavior exhibited on that dog will most likely end up with him being put down yeah definitely and yeah. that's what owners need yeah. to understand like they have that responsibility mm-hmm. to raise their dog or pets properly and yeah. not, not to treat them like a human being to fulfill their needs yeah i think definitely balance it is kind of good in everything and and you know treating pets as as what they are definitely won't diminish their role or their importance they, they won't love you any less so i have a bit of a a west question so, say i have a pet spider who do i take <laughs> it to it's just popped in my head sorry who do you take it to i mean you do take it to the vets and then there'll be someone who who will be like oh let me just pop to the back and then i'll try and <laughs> get a book out or get the the exotic specimen <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what would happen yeah there's usually you know someone who has a bit more of a love for exotics or or is specialized in that so they're they're who mm-hmm. is who you'd probably most likely be seeing would it would have it ever be consulted for human issues for example like i i don't know if we have any venomous animals in the uk but something along those lines where you know something happened to them due to an animal hmm. i i think from what i remember in lectures i don't think we are allowed to give advice to humans i don't think we're we're meant to do that so we would have to advise you to go to a doctor venomous snake that's just the steve's um animal thing there no, you said there any venomous animal oh ah, okay yeah that's, there's a snake oh there yeah, is a snake oh wow yeah oh add um, that to the list of things that i should be scared of <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to end up going outside ever again. <laughs> yeah, permanent lockdown. <laughs> uh, maybe we can okay. move on to like. Yeah, I was just about question. to ask a question. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, go on. Yeah. Uh, so no. I was going to say, do you think it's uh, right that certain animals are seen as good and some are seen as bad? So, like for example, generally speaking, like an alligator is deemed as like the bad guy in mm, any yeah. any one of these movies, or like you know the Winnie the Pooh. A cuddly friendly bear but in reality you know yeah. it's an apex predator that could rip you to shreds like do you think that do you how right do you think that is like we're in movies for example where now certain animals have this negative thing attached mm, to them like most yeah. people don't like snakes um it's definitely like a lot of these animals that are seen as bad it's definitely not based off of any kind of personal experiences it's definitely more from media or or kind of these stereotypes that that have been cemented in our minds um you know an example would be kind of hyenas i think we often paint them as like these evil laughing scavengers who are like you know horrible psychics to to mufasa's demise in the lion king <laughs> and i not? think when we when we see these <laughs> hyenas we think you know they're all working for scar or something um and i think that's definitely comes from kind of a lack of of understanding um you know, a lot of the time, the, you know, the information, you know, I don't really know much about hyenas. And I think a lot of people, their information. I've heard some bad things. Solely, solely on, on the Lion King or, or like other media and things like that. And, and 
you know people like for example the scavenging point i think a lot of people think they're scavengers when when really they're actually very good hunters you know excellent hunters and their their prey is definitely more likely to be stolen by a lion than the other way around um mm. so that's definitely a good example i think of of just a lack of of understanding on that topic and uh, again with kind of putting our our ideas onto onto animals even if they were scavengers you know that's just nature that's how it is just because we don't like the idea of, of scavenging and things like that we can't really just think of animals as, as good and bad because of it um i think uh, and also another thing is probably fear you know like sharks for example uh, are seen as as quite bad and, and people tend to have this you know irrational fear of, of being killed by a shark you know i i have a fear of sharks I really don't like dark water and I, I literally can't even look at a picture of a shark but I and I know that that's an irrational fear because Ooh. the odds are very very unlikely you know we're more likely to get attacked by dogs and yeah. and so it's don't just like Aaron. <laughs> yeah. no you know what I was gonna say it's quite unfortunate that you're scared of uh, sharks because um we had designed the cover photo that was of a shark for this episode. I definitely won't be watching that. <laughs> oh no, no, of course. We'll we'll change it, of course. No. You're right. Yeah. Like, so the, the perception of animals. Like I, I went traveling and um when I was in Vietnam, there was this place that actually served shark. And uh, I asked actually, I asked like, why do you basically why do you uh, supply sharks mm, and their yeah. their answer was uh they're out to kill us so we should kill them before they come and kill us essentially yeah that's definitely like a good point i think a lot of stereotypes can be harmless but so others are definitely more dangerous you know with with sharks they're actually a lot of you know species of shark are being you know pushed to the brink of extinction because mm-hmm. of us you know in australia there's there's kind of a lot of shark holes that happen to to make tourist beaches more more safe and and yeah as you said like a lot of sharks i think around you know over 70 million sharks i think are, are killed every year for their fins and and they're done to kind of make make the environment safer and and i mm. think yeah that's with things like that that's definitely not right and and people don't really recognize how how vital their role is in in the ocean and the ecosystems and things well how would you balance for example uh, let's say in a village um that would perhaps come into contact with tigers mm. how would how would how would we balance for example the protection versus the you know the perception that tigers are bad animals because i guess it's kind of like a necessity but at the same time we want yeah. to protect these tigers these, yeah that, that's um, a good point i think like in in india for example there's a lot of villages that kind of get attacked by by the nearby tiger and things like that i think um it is, you know, very sad when, when that happens because, you know, we have essentially, you know, landed on their territory. But at the same time, we do need to, to make the place kind of safer for humans. And, and a lot of these animals get, you know, put down or shot straight away, which it, it is very sad. But um, I think you definitely have to look at the probabilities, I think. And I guess that's what and, reserves are for, I guess, conservation yeah. reserves designed yeah, for this kind of stuff yeah or even yeah try and kind of cut off like the 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 lands and and kind of create like a, a better division or, or things like that i think make make the people that are in the village or, or things like that more aware of of what's around them and things like that i think definitely education is probably the way to go with that um, yeah 
What do you think of, for example, in the UK, we kind of label dogs as either being dangerous or even some dog uh, dog breeds are banned. Mm. Um, how do you think that fits in? Yeah, like how do you think that fits into our perception? And sh- is that right or should it not um, be that way? I think as a vet, I think that I think most vets would agree that that all all dogs, you know, if they if they have an adequate form of training, that they they can be just as lovable, you know, any any sort of pet and I definitely don't agree with with the idea of you know dangerous dogs and and the fact that some are more dangerous than others I don't think any any dogs have that that kind of inert like innate um danger to them um it's definitely a a lack of of training and and there's there's I think going back to stereotypes I think people just think that these dogs are dangerous or anything that comes up with that happens with them being dangerous you kind of are fixated on that whereas you know a lot of things can happen with other other breeds of dogs chihuahuas you know you, as you say you know a lot of them are um, not very trained and they they bite all the time but I think it's just because of their size and, and so it doesn't really get publicized you know you're not going to go to the police over a little mark from a chihuahua you know so, so would I you say that dog down racism is real or sorry Dog racism is real, is what you're saying, from what I'm. Uh, yes, very. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real matter. There's a story not? about that. Hmm? About two llamas. There was a black llama and a white white llama, and they escaped and they shot the black one. What? <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shot the black llama. White one. They took it in uh, peacefully, I think. It was uh, yeah. this was the police, wasn't yeah. it, in America? Yeah, yeah. It was a couple they shot of years the Batlama. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> I think all of this. Like that. Yeah, it's it's, it's America. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> different. You know what's crazy? They used to come up with the term speciesism and stuff like that. I, I don't know if that's what it means in that sense, but like I'm kind of starting to understand it a little bit because as I said how we've created the hierarchy of like rich dog and poor dog mm, also yeah. created like the hierarchy of good animal and bad animal yeah like, even circling back to sharks I mean I read some stuff about dolphins which my god they're like the yeah. pests of the sea they're terrible but like <laughs> I've always thought of dolphins as like you know the jesters the clowns of the sea yeah. how lovely are they but if anything they're worse than sharks but you know the sharks get a bad rap <laughs> There's like killer whales, right? I mean, we all watched Free Willy and obviously it was seen as this peaceful animal. Yeah. But in reality, they're apex predators um, and they shouldn't be in, in cage, like encaged. Uh, Shut down. Yeah. 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 I think even with like going back to that, the idea of like anthropomorphization, like a lot of us see like dangerous animals as cute and, you know, tigers or pandas, hippos, all of these animals are very dangerous. But I think, just our perception of them is, is very different. Mm-hmm. What would you say to, like, I was reading an article recently, like, actually yesterday, about reintroduction. So in the UK, we've pretty much killed all those, <laughs> killed off all our predators. And they were thinking about reintroducing wolves in, like, the Highlands in Scotland. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, I can't breathe. Erin's <laughs> <I'm, I'm>, shaking. Erin's <laughs> shaking right now. I mean, yeah, I, I guess it, it could do damage to Erin, but do you... Do, I think it's a healthy thing, in my opinion, if it's in a remote area like that, where there, there's obviously an effect with overpopulation of deers because there's no natural predators, mm, etc. Yeah. What do you think of that kind of approach? I think that's definitely a good idea. Um, obviously, you, you, it, everything is is needed in balance, and and yeah, when you get when you get overpopulations of things, it's usually because 
something else has been removed from from kind of the the chain so i think yeah i, I think i would not be opposed to that i and i also do love wolves so. yeah they're so pretty <laughs> i think that's a good point with like um i think like red squirrels were were kind of the the native species here and then they kind of brought in gray squirrels as thank you to, to kind of counteract that and then now we have no red squirrels and it's just full of full of gray squirrels so yeah, yeah. i think now we have podcast these guys got onto me about red squirrel. They think I forgot. What well, the Isle of Wight has red squirrels? Red squirrels. But I, I think no, even now. about the Isle of Wight, man. Come on, like we, we well, can't I care about red the red squirrels, squirrels in London. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> the way I understand is even the grey squirrels are being threatened by now the black squirrels from Canada. <laughs> oh really? I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, it's just mean, invasion, power, so. invasion after invasion. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's a good that's a good point and maybe can we reintroduce red squirrels i don't know i guess you're gonna have to kill off the other ones yeah <laughs> they're reintroducing um bison into the uk yeah you could yeah wait there they um, are where yeah by 20 uh norfolk i think i uh, yeah i think yeah. i heard about that actually yeah that's interesting okay so we're gonna end up being cowboys okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> or native americans yeah that's interesting but um maybe like to just talk about your field and uh like one of my questions is like i'm always interested in like what the next development is you know what's the next technology i guess in veterinary science what is being like looked forward to what kind of exciting things um is there in the field um i think with with technology definitely that's advancing in the last kind of 10 years or so um you know before we wouldn't really have much kind of advanced like x-rays or ultrasounds or things like that that would have to be done at, at, at hospitals and things whereas now you get digital x-rays in, in you know most of the vet practices and and things are definitely becoming more more cheaper and, and more accessible uh, even in hospitals you can get ct scanners and things and and ultrasounds are definitely a more affordable tool now and and um a lot of kind of the blood work that that we that we do can now be tested you know in in the practice rather than being sent off so i think there's just a lot more accessible technology that's kind of allowing us to to diagnose our pets quicker and 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 treat them quicker and mm-hmm. um there's definitely more predictions kind of for more monitoring type devices that you kind of put on your pet and then i mean like the, the vet will put it on and then you you take the pet with you and then that kind of feeds back to the practice and gives information and things like that oh, with wow. kind of continued monitoring of of a pet's health or you know symptom control i think that's probably the main thing that's that's kind of new and 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 people are, are kind of wanting to to develop that that's um, really advanced yeah, that's, yeah i didn't expect that yeah. and i think aside from that probably there's like a lot more specialist care um with like clients having more value for their pets and and definitely a higher expectation and they definitely have more knowledge now with the internet and and kind of are demanding a higher level so a lot more vets are are building you know expertise in in more niche areas and and working as specialists and and even within the practice a lot of people are doing kind of advanced surgery certificates or internships in different sectors to to be able to provide that 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 higher level and and bring in more clients who whose pets require that that specialty oh, that's quite interesting is yeah. there is there any level of like I guess data analytics or kind of computer science within veterinary science. Not that I'm aware of. I'm not too sure about that. Mm-hmm. That question, to be honest. 
yeah just a, a general trend i'm finding just talking to most of my guests it mm-hmm. seems like it's creeping everywhere but um yeah because of the amount of data we have but that's yeah. interesting i didn't realize they you could do this kind of um, diagnosis on on the trot yeah like you said monitoring your pet all the time that's really really advanced stuff yeah a lot of kind of cardiac patients we do put like ecg monitors on them and then that that's only really like a day thing but we're we're like looking to do more kind of long-term monitoring and things like that i guess these treatments are <laughs> they seem expensive and maybe we can move on to the next part mm-hmm. it's more about like the costing style so what i understand is uh, in the uk it works via insurance so you kind of get insurance on yeah. your pet and they the pet pays off your insurance um i've, I've seen some things online uh, on some forums suggesting there should be a kind of universal health care for pets um nhs style mm. well, what's your opinion on the the, the costing uh, co- costing model and do you think that's viable actually um that's definitely a very good question and it also that is one that kind of relates back to the misconceptions and i think a lot of people think vets are, are expensive um and i think that's a, a lot down to the fact that we don't really understand the cost of healthcare. um you know when we're in vet school a lot of kind of my american friends that they don't really seem to get these complaints from clients about about um you know this bill is too high because they're more aware of 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 the cost whereas here you know we have the nhs and so it's not you, you know there's not really a need for us to know about how much things cost and and because of that i think a lot of people think vets are expensive and and treatments are, are overpriced and you know you get all these accusations of, of you know money grabbing vets and things like that um but you know a lot of the money that we get it doesn't just go straight into our back pocket you know mm-hmm. you know com- for comparison i think you know most vet practices charge about i say 30 to 40 pounds for for like a consult and that's you know without any treatment but that includes you know the vet's time and, and experience any any help needed for you know restraint by the nursing team and and the admin side of things and, and just, you know, overhead costs, you know, maintenance of the buildings or insurance, medical equipment, um, drug licenses or, you know, telephone systems. So I think all of that goes into it. So, and, you know, I think when you compare that with human medicine, I think from what I've seen, like government figures have shown, you know, like a 10 minute appointment with your GP costs about 45 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, like surgery costs, a, a common one that we do is a hysterectomy and that's about 150 to 400 kind of depending on the size of your pet and that would probably be in the thousands in 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 like private healthcare. so i think animals are definitely able to get the the same level of of medical health care for a much lower cost and with the with the in regards to kind of the nhs i think yeah so pet owners you know at the moment they have a choice to either pay up front for the cost of treatment or or pay for pet insurance which helps kind of cover the cost and I think a lot of arguments for would be that you know it would definitely help a lot of people who can't afford treatment and it kind of allows everyone to be able to to have a pet and it definitely um would would reduce you know out of hours costs and you know then you could argue that there would be less animal suffering because I think a lot of kind of people who are not so um well off would probably delay taking their animals to the vet and or, you know, not even take their pets at all. I've seen a lot of people that are so worried to come in because of the cost that they, they definitely delay that. So having, having an NHS-style system 
would definitely allow you to kind of put your mind at ease and, and not fear it so much. Um, mm -hmm. But I think on the flip side against that, I think, you know, we don't even have enough funding as it is at the moment for humans. Um, I don't know if we'd be able to extend that to, to pets and, and seeing as not everyone has a pet, I, I don't know if it would be so justified. Mm -hmm. um, but also we have a lot of kind of charity organizations at the moment anyway that, that do help owners who can't afford pets. And um, that's definitely like kind of discounted heavily. Um, and I think one argument would be that, you know, if you, if you can't afford a pet, should you really get one? And I think you, people should really consider the cost of, of getting a pet, not just if it gets sick, but lifelong costs, you know, it's a lifelong commitment. And um, unfortunately, you know, having a pet is, is, is a luxury. It's not really, you know, a right in itself. And, you know, I argued that it could lead to less animal suffering if we did have it, but at the same time, it might lead to more because there might be, you know, more irresponsible pet ownership. And because of the fact that everyone can get a pet, you know, it kind of, you don't really put the same thought into it if you were to get one. So mm. I think there's definitely two sides to it. What, what, what are your thoughts on it? No, you, you brought up a good point. I didn't think about how we're not exposed to the cost of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like you said, the Americans are very aware of how much uh, healthcare costs where we're not. So we mm -hmm. might be getting a really good deal, but you know, we're oblivious to it. So we complain yeah. anyway. Um, that's a really good point. I didn't... I'm not gonna lie. My granddad came here and he got he got sick and we had to take him to the hospital. And because he doesn't have citizenship here or insurance, we had to pay like what somebody, let's say, in America would usually have to pay, sort of thing. And when I saw the bill for just five days in hospital in the UK, I almost collapsed. I was like, "There's no way I can pay this. This is ridiculous." Like, there is Bro, that's where my hairline started to recede. I'm telling you, like I, I saw the bill and I said, "Oh my goodness!" Like it's incredibly expensive, and it's a very good point that we don't really consider how expensive healthcare yeah. is generally. And so when the vet says to you, "Oh, I need like forty, fifty pounds to do this thing," mm, yeah, you just go, "Oh my god, you guys are robbing me blind! Yeah. I can't believe you're doing this." Uh, you know, and uh, but to be fair though, one time my vet, she. Uh, I, I was had the similar mindset, obviously, before the whole granddad thing, where they asked uh, to do some procedures to figure out why he wasn't eating and so on and so forth. And they, the bill came up to like 500 pounds. Mm. And I was just like, you know what? Give me whatever medication it is. Let me try that first. because I cannot <laughs> yeah. pay this right now. And, uh, you know, uh, sometimes you do have unforeseen costs or like your situation might change in the time that you own the, the pet um, where you can't you can't pay. Although initially you might have had the kind of uh, finances to look yeah. after the pet when you bought it obviously people's circumstances change so yeah you know what, whatever you might end up in a situation where you can't pay where it is quite difficult when you're in that and in that moment you're like oh i wish there was an nhs for pets yeah but definitely as you said you know we don't have we don't have the perfect healthcare system for humans first mm. let alone yeah. for pets so it is a bit of a conundrum really yeah is it compulsory to have pet insurance um, no, it's not compulsory. Um, I okay. would highly recommend it though to anyone listening. <laughs> yep, don't make the mistake I made. Get the pet insurance. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. Like like you said, yeah, don't make the mistake Emma made. Get pet insurance because you, you, you never see, foresee yourself thinking like, oh, you know, everything's going to be perfect. You know, not, yeah. nothing's going to happen. And then definitely know. one thing that you can guarantee is that your pet will get sick. 
um, mm. whether you know it might be a small thing or it might be a big thing, but that's definitely a guarantee. So I think just getting pet insurance, you can you can get you know different band levels as little as you know five pounds a month. I think it's just definitely something that that just puts your mind at ease. So I've, annoying to me because my dog's big. So whenever I try to insure him, like I know, yeah, him, they're, they're like, oh, you know, 40, 50 pounds a <laughs> yeah. month. And I'm thinking, well, over the course of a year, I'm going to pay the same as if he was to get ill and, you know, whatever. So yeah. Yeah. I always end up like arguing with the woman on the phone when she tells me the price. I'm like, how much? How much? He can lose weight. I can, I can make him lose weight. But how much? <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Definitely yeah, we don't do go for that. insurance. Yeah, do go for insurance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting as well how you brought up the fact that, you know, even if we did have the NHS system, we might get more irresponsible pet owners, Mm -hmm. you know, because people feel like they have a safety net. And uh, that's something we don't need right now, I think. It seems like there's quite a few irresponsible pet owners as it is (laughs) from my personal experience (laughs) and looking at adoption websites. So, yeah, we definitely don't need that. Um, Yeah. You know, I've had a long-standing theory that people who are like homeless or whatever, as as I described with the dog um, at Denmark Hill, like uh, I feel like they look after their pets quite well. I don't know if like I don't know if that's just me thinking that, but every single time I saw this guy, he would be losing weight, but the dog would be getting fat. So I'm thinking, well, you must be at least feeding the dog, if anything. So it seems Maybe as though, because yeah, because it's the only thing. Just like to not be looked after. Yeah, but possibly, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's just me uh, romanticizing the idea that they look after their pets really well. I don't know. Maybe Bandy might have a different. I think. I mean, that. I do know what you mean. A lot of these dogs are quite healthy looking. They're not. That's the thing. I, yeah. I, yeah, I do get what you mean. <laughs> I think you know a lot of these people are are huge lovers of of their pets, and I think a lot of the money they do get, they do spend most of it on, on their pets. Um, and at the same time, I think having a pet i think people are more likely to to give you money when you have an animal for Mm. some reason i think people are more likely like when they see a pet as opposed to when they see a human suffering i think we kind of are more empathetic and more sympathetic when it comes to animals definitely i I genuinely think we are do you think that comes back to what we were talking about like viewing them as equals and yeah yeah i have a theory on that yeah sorry um, animals are in that they're not in that position because of what they've done so people feel sorry for them a bit more I'm not saying that the humans are in that position because of their own fault if you get what I'm saying yeah I feel like you yeah. assign a certain level of autonomy to a human mm-hmm. being where yeah. you're like you yeah. are in charge of your own actions so you always come up with like a reason in your head that's Oh, maybe he took drugs. Maybe this happened. Yeah. Maybe that happened. But we were like yeah. a dog most of the time. You're like, well, he's a dog. He doesn't know yeah. any better. You know, he's stuck on these yeah. streets. Let me take him in. If you found a homeless guy on the street, you're not gonna be like, oh, come with me, mate. Let me take yeah. him to my house. But you might do that with a dog. <laughs> I mean, don't, okay, I'm, don't do that. If you see a, <laughs> see a homeless person, <laughs> yeah. just go, oh, let me bring him into my house. You never know. So I'm not advocating that. But yeah. rabies. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> Oh, that's quite funny. Why is chocolate so dangerous for for dogs? Um, it causes uh, it kind of causes like this um, like slows down the heart rate, um, and and oh. basically leads to death. And oh. even like the little littlest bit of chocolate, yeah. Do you know oh, what's wow. crazy though? My neighbours, like two houses down, they must have been throwing my dog like a celebrations chocolates for weeks without me knowing. 
Whoa. So, like, I was walking him and he was having diarrhea, like, every other day. I was thinking, why is this dog constantly having that? Like, what's going on? And then I, I literally walked in on them throwing, like, Bounty and Mars and stuff like that. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And they go, they go, oh, he loves it, though. And I'm like, bro, you can't give a dog chocolate. Like, I, I don't I'll know yeah, I think because yeah, like, it probably because your dog's quite large. I think small amounts. I mean, I wouldn't recommend anyone. No, no, I, I never anyway, give him but, chocolate. But, but small amounts kind of do just cause like an upset stomach. But but larger amounts that yeah, they cause like yeah, irregular heartbeats and, and tremors and, and seizures and, and heart attacks and things. Whoa. I said if I have one more dead pet on my hands, I'm gonna be so fucking annoyed after. <laughs> after that, so. <laughs> That's yeah, no, really, I think it was like her, her her grandson or something. He's just a kid, isn't he? He loves the dog, and he thought like, yeah. oh, I like chocolate. The dog must like yeah. chocolate, so he was just throwing them over. And I was like, don't throw fucking chocolate at the dog. You know right? <laughs> it was bounty as well. It wasn't the even like a good chocolate. chocolate. Like, the worst chocolate. <laughs> I love bounty. That's my I favorite. I don't know why I just said that. I actually like bounty as well, but whatever. You know. I used to hate like bounty, and I don't know why, but I love it now. Yeah, I, I, that and Twix. I'm starting to like the chocolates that aren't really chocolates that have got like just a coating of chocolate yeah. rather than. <laughs> Maybe it's like nice. my taste buds are getting older and yeah, you're sophisticated. <laughs> Come on. That was bloody brilliant. Well, Manny, maybe you want to ask maybe shout out or yeah, um, like a dog charity. I was going to mention this uh, issue, which I think um, a lot of people that are outside of the veterinary profession don't really know, and that is this um, kind of growing crisis of suicide in the veterinary profession. Do you oh, guys wow. like know much about it? No, no, I've always thought of it as like a dream job. So uh, yeah. yeah, so wow. I think a lot of people don't really realize and. And vets are, are kind of four times more likely to take their own life than, than the general public and two times more likely than any other healthcare profession. I think dentists were very high on, on kind of the list of, of, of suicides, but mm-hmm. I, I believe vets have either overtaken or, or are very, you know, close behind. Um, and I think it's definitely a big thing that we should probably be m- more aware of and, and, and I think talk about it more. And I think there's a lot of reasons that, it happens and um, kind of there's this thing that we kind of regard in, in the healthcare profession called compassion fatigue. Um, and right. it's kind of this state that, that is characterized by, you know, this emotional and, and physical ex- exhaustion, basically from just helping all the time and caring all the time. And it kind of creates this kind of secondary trauma to, to the helper, which, you know, in this case is, is the vet. And, and we, you know, are exposed directly to, to trauma every day through, to true uh, death and disease and and animal cruelty and, and euthanasia and things like that and um i think we have to go through a lot of extremes in emotion you know a lot of the time you're going and dealing with you know a euthanasia and having to put put this you know beloved pet down and, and helping to console the owner and help them through it and then you know the very next appointment you could be dealing with a new puppy and having to just forget about that and just you know be excited you know with this new owner about their new puppy and I think it's it's definitely not normal having to do these things and and go through these emotions like that and and along with that the the, the kind of heavy heavy schedule at vet school and then leaving with such a high debt and and um, all these long hours in practice I think it gives the message that that you don't really need to put your needs you know high up on the list and definitely it seems like you should be putting work and and the needs of animals before your own and 
and you're expected to be kind of a lot of things to different people, you know, financial advisors and, and emotional counselors and, and team leaders and, and clients kind of put a lot of pressure on you to, to be this, um, you know, miracle curer and, and they, they can attack you when you're, when they're unable to pay for something or, you know, you get called money hungry or, or not caring about vets and things. And yeah. I think there's this idea that you're kind of expected to, to be able to provide free care when, um, just because you know you love animals and then when you don't you become kind of the bad guy and there's a lot of um, complaints and you know with the internet now people can leave like a lot of bad reviews and, and you're always kind of put under pressure and, and scrutinized and I think it can be very easy to get into into a dark place and and there's like this um, I think there's studies that there's like this certain demographic that go into vet school and it's kind of like the high achievers the the perfectionists and mm. and so we've I think a lot of people put themselves to this high standard and, and when you can't fit this impossible standard, I think it can be very easy to get into kind of this this bad state and this state of depression. And I think coupled with the fact that vets tend to have this more favorable attitude to, to euthanasia and, and the fact that we have knowledge and access to drugs, suicide definitely becomes and is is a real problem. And and mm. I think as a profession, there's a, a lot more awareness now and and, and not just in veterinary, but I think across the board, there's a lot more importance put on, on mental health and, and well-being and things. But um, I think profession-wide change is definitely very hard and, and slow. And I think having the support from practice and, and, and from your profession helps. But clients are definitely a big part of the job. So I, I would say for anyone who's listening, who's kind of a pet owner, I think just be more aware of, of the pressure that vets face and and just be more responsible as pet owners and, and more pro- proactive, I think, in, in working with your vet rather than, than against them. And, and just know that it's not easy doing what we do and, and, and that we go through all of this just, you know, to be able to look after your animals. So I think definitely be, be kind with your words. Yeah, sorry to interject. Mm-hmm. Is there like a, a union for the vet? Um, there's, there's kind of a lot more um, organisations out there that, that are able to, mm-hmm. to focus on this. Um, I think we've got like Samaritans, I think a lot, that's more of a general one, but there's, there's a charity called Vet Life who, who you can definitely call when you're in, in like crisis and they have like 24 yeah. hour uh, helplines and, and phone lines available and things like that. I think this is an issue that's like not actually, to be honest, to me, it wasn't, it wasn't as obvious, but mm, once, yeah. once you, you know, I'm glad you told us and I'm, I hope the listeners here, like it's, it's quite an obvious effect, effect of, uh, you know the hard role that they they have to provide to yeah. society so I think know, it, I, yeah, it's very easy to kind of think it's just you know looking after puppies and things but I think on you know behind the scenes it is it is a very hard job and and it can it can become you know a lot harder with with certain things mm-hmm. yeah and we all have a responsibility to you know help out and like you said for those who have a pet uh, next time you you know you you interact with a veterinary veterinarian have that in mind uh, mm. you know be kind and ex- exactly why you try to haggle down yeah. the prices and tell them you're robbing me blind but yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah because it's a really serious issue to be honest and yeah no definitely definitely yeah, that's, that's i think we, we often when we go to the vets as pet owners as well we're so like upset and angry about like, Oh God, what's happened to my pet? You know, is he going to be all right? We kind of forget that we're interacting with another person. You're yeah. on the same, you know, wavelength as us. You actually yeah, wants definitely. to help us. Yeah. In that moment, you, you just, if you get given bad news, you, you almost think like it's the vet's fault that mm-hmm. your pet's got yeah, sick. But I think bear that in mind, isn't it? 
like this idea that you, you want someone to blame and it is usually unfortunately the vet yeah I mean, it's a similar situation in healthcare i've worked with um oncology patients a lot and the, the initial response is often you know one of anger sometimes towards the the person who's given them the news where they say mm-hmm. why didn't you find this yeah. earlier you know uh, you're to blame sort of situation because in that moment you want to place the kind of hurt on an individual um uh, and i guess it's, it's similar with with being a pet owner and going to the taking your vet you know you know your pet to the vet and when they tell you there's something wrong you get really upset and you forget in that moment that it's not the vet's fault that this thing has happened they're just telling you that it's happened yeah they want to help you so it is very important to keep that percep- perception correct yeah just maybe if you want to reiterate the the charities that that are helping this uh, issue just for mm-hmm. people if they want to donate or if they want to get involved um yeah um so vet life and and, and uh, samaritans uh, vet life is definitely more focused on veterinary issues and things um i think there's an organization in america i think maybe i think it's called not one more vet that's also uh, more more in america but it's still something that you could go to yeah so if anybody knows anyone in veterinary science just point them towards these services so that just to help yeah you know, as Banu said well perhaps we can uh, end it there um thank you Banu for coming on to the podcast you're most uh, welcome thank you it was great yeah it was very good fun it was good fun and I'm, I'm <laughs> glad to hear your voice again after such yeah. a time. <laughs> and uh, I guess I thank our viewers for listening you know thank you very much for supporting us and yeah we release episodes every Monday and Wednesday usually uh, don't forget to follow us on social media at Verbal Reasoning Podcast on Instagram, at Podcast Verbal on Twitter, and you can just Google us and find us in general. Uh, make sure to check out the charities. I'm pretty sure they have an Instagram page and uh, more information for the listeners. Feel free to suggest any future topics. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, all that goodness. Leave a review. And uh, again, thanks again for helping grow our podcast. We're really, really grateful for the listeners. And again, thank you, Banu for everything you've done so far thank you uh, steve why didn't you say who said having fun and being serious can't go hand in hand you that was bloody brilliant yeah. my dog's annoying man he'll, he'll go into pets for homes and he'll just turn around and walk up and down all day and just when we're about to leave then he'll just go and piss on something and i'm like a bit embarrassed <laughs> 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 I'm like, I'm not bringing you here unless you're absolutely sick. Otherwise, you're just going to piss everywhere and everyone's going to look at me like I'm, you know, the bad owner and whatnot. Yeah, you know what? You should know this story. I don't know if I've told uh, you about it. I don't want to talk about the turtle. The turtle. turtle. <laughs> Banu, I had a pet turtle, yeah? Oh, when I was a kid. Oh. <laughs> a turtle when I was a kid and I loved this turtle. And uh, I got it during the summer. And then when it was like coming to September, I was going back to school. And then uh, it was still signing outside. And uh, I come back one day and I see like my, my mom, dad, I forgot who it was, but they went upstairs and I was like, where's Ben? I called him Ben. They're like, oh, they were playing with him outside on the table. I'm like, all right. So I go outside and as I go outside, a seagull swoops down, lands on Ben, like looks me in the eye and then flies off with my turtle. <laughs> What Steve getting traumatized? I don't know why, but I was we laughed so much when we heard this. He's reliving his trauma, and because yeah. we've always laughed uh, at it, he's always laughed at it too. But now that Banu's given a yeah. human reaction, he's like, <laughs> oh, I can't believe it. Man. That was bloody brilliant.